Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone. It is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Viator, Executive Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. I have the pleasure of being joined by two partners at 50 State, a bipartisan strategic government relations firm that focuses their attention on governors and really a, a lot of what's going on at the gubernatorial level. Marie Sanderson is a veteran of the Republican Governors Association as well as Capitol Hill. And Roshan Patel is a veteran of the Democratic Governors Association as well as the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. And I've invited both of them here to just share with us the perspective that governors have and sort of the things that they are hearing from the Republican side of the aisle, the Democratic side of the aisle as we navigate through this COVID crisis. So I'm going to kick it off with a question that is aimed at both of you, which is what challenges are governors facing amid this COVID-19 crisis? And Marie, I'll have you go first, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, I think, you know, the two major buckets are safety of their constituents and the economy. And so I think you're seeing governors on both sides of the aisle open up in some respects, back off openings under the prism of safety in the economy. As new research comes out and new cases are reported, governors are, you know, looking back at what's working and what's not. And you're seeing Republicans and Democrats have to evaluate their strategy on both those buckets. Makes sense. Roshan, anything you see differently from the Democratic perspective? No. To that point, I would say if you dig down maybe one level, there's been a lot of conversation around Democratic circles and Democratic governors and lieutenant governors around disproportionately affected groups of people around COVID, communities of color, um, African-Americans, Hispanics, Native Americans, and even folks in the rural communities. If you look at, take an example of broadband or distance learning. We pulled kids out of school once the pandemic hit, and we expect them to log on to a computer, onto the internet, and do classwork. Well, if you don't have access to broadband, you're not able to do that. And I know, Brad, y'all member company, Southern Company, with Mississippi Power, Alabama Power, working on those issues in the state. So Marie's right. I mean, it's healthcare, it's economic, and then it runs into education and other divides. Yeah. You hit on something there, Roshan, that I think is worth digging into a little bit. The tragedy in Minneapolis, the George Floyd situation, the sort of civil unrest that's being stacked on top of the COVID crisis. What's the message? What's the narrative? What are you hearing from governor's offices as they look to manage those two very real and very different problems? You know, we had populations within our prisons in which obviously it was inevitable that the pandemic was going to hit our prisons. We started releasing nonviolent criminals to clear out space in our prisons. Well, that got folks thinking, why were they there in the first place? How did they get to that sentencing? So you're looking at sentencing reform. George Floyd and what happened there in the many cases before, you're now having a different conversation around policing. I I think what COVID has done, and there are a lot of terrible things, but I think it's got government and even business rethinking how they do things, becoming more efficient, teleworking, telehealth when it comes to healthcare. I think it's just got everybody rethinking how they can operate their own agency or business in a different way. Do you, to maybe pull on that thread that 
Roshan started pulling a little bit on the sentencing reform front. Is that something that we're seeing Republican states and Republican governors wade into as well? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I agree with everything Roshan said. I think those issues are key and they're being looked at in a bipartisan way. But sure, I mean, I think Republican governors were leading in criminal justice and sentencing reform before COVID hit. Mississippi was one state, Georgia is another, who've been known for their leadership in this area. And candidly and frankly, it's a place where Republicans and Democrats really agree. So the fact that COVID has you know, raised that and other states who were behind some of the other leaders in the space, I think that's a good thing. There's one other item that Roshan didn't mention, but I also think is being looked at and I do believe is bipartisan as well. And that's liability reform, particularly as we talk about education and going back to school and we talk about businesses trying to put people back to work. This whole idea of who's liable is something that's being debated in both parties. Can you guys articulate the challenges and opportunities around reopening from each party's perspective? And Roshan, I'll start with you. Before you do anything when it comes to reopening, I think you got to keep people safe. And it's kind of boring to say, but you hear it constantly, right? Social distance, wear a mask, don't organize in more than 10 or 50 people, depending on where you are. I think what this new spike has shown, if you look at a state like Utah and some of these Mountain West states, even some states in the South, the pandemic has now hit some of these rural areas. So it's now no longer an urban thing like we saw in New York or Atlanta or Detroit. It's now going into different pockets of the states, the less populated or less densely populated portions. But but I think you got to continue to keep people safe, listen to the experts. And I would say another sort of challenge is voting. I mean, we've got a huge election in four months. How do we keep people safe? How do we continue to have access to voting while keeping people safe? How do you do that? Obviously, vote by mail is a conversation that we're having at least on the Democratic side of the aisle. Other states, are there are states around the country that are doing it. It's successful. It actually grows participation, and it keeps people in their home. And so I think we talked a lot about a lot of issues, but I think voting is going to be a big one in just a few short months. And then opportunities. The reason we love working for governors is because governors get things done. They have to. They have to balance budgets. They have to move the needle or won't get reelected in four years. And if you look at poll numbers, it's reflected in poll numbers. Governors are more popular than the president because it's an opportunity to lead their state, to look like a leader in the crisis. And and I know we'll talk about this, but for those governors that are up for reelection, I think it'll bode well for them in November. Thanks, Roshan. Marie, what do you think about reopening? What are the challenges and opportunities look like? You said at the top of the question, you asked about the politics. I think the politics of it is more at the national level. I think you're seeing governors really try and encourage people to do the right things as advised by their health departments. Several Republican governors are running mask up campaigns. And so that part of it, Republican governors are trying to do the right thing. Where it may change is Republican governors may be more likely to defer power to local governments and have different policy decisions for different regions of the state. Another thing that we didn't really talk about with reopening, but I know is is certainly an undertone, and that's the economic recovery piece. How do you guys see that part playing at the moment? Obviously, that's an area of pressure that governors are feeling with all these people out of work and kind of a tight spot. I think that was a big driver for reopening. How do you see that driver working out at the gubernatorial level right now? 
in Congress, you don't have to balance a budget. Governors do. 50 governors have to balance a budget. And so the work is amplified around budget shortfalls and revenue shortfalls. These are hard decisions. These are tough decisions that need to be made. You've got some states that were in pretty healthy fiscal order that could potentially dip into rainy day funds. You've got to look at spending. You can't just look at revenue. And obviously, Democrats and Republicans have a different view of that. But by and large, taxes have been flat and it's diversifying the workforce. It's cutting spending. It's hiring freezes at the agency level around the country. And obviously, there's a CARES 4 package or Phase 4 that's coming down the pike that states are anxiously and actively engaged in that conversation to make sure that cities and municipalities, but states also get their share of funding. Marie, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think some Republicans have a bit different view. I would agree with Roshan that it's worse than 08. I would say the posture of a lot of Republican governors was to repurpose some of the funds that were appropriated in the earlier CARES packages. Some of Republican governors have said, look, we've got a lot of money, but we want to use it for the purposes that we think our state needs, not for the different silos that Congress appropriated. So I do know that Governors are having active conversations with both parties in Congress and the White House about how flexibilities with the money they have could be used to plug these holes. You know, there's also just the general debate on the Republican side of the aisle. You know, several states had rainy day funds, and that's good policy. And, you know, they shouldn't have to carry the weight for other states that have bloated spending, certainly are unwilling to fund pension plans. Then you have other Republican governors who've are in lockstep with Democrats, governors like Larry Hogan, Mike DeWine, and Charlie Baker, who have said we need more money and are willing to put their name on the line. Final point, Missouri has actually given money to their local governments and found a way to do that through the CARES funding. So you may see that happen in other states as well. If you're Cory Gardner, Susan Collins, Tom Tillis, maybe to a lesser degree, but if you're a Republican senator that's up for re-election this year in what is currently not a great environment for you, I think that you're going to probably give up a little bit on fiscal restraint and make sure that you get reelected. And I think you will probably see that unfold in the next package. At least what I'm hearing is that next package, McConnell wants to get that thing done before they head out in August, so the last two weeks of July. So we'll see that play out here shortly. I'm thinking of states that depend on things like tourism in particular. How are they dealing? How are they going to deal with that? Gaming in Nevada, obviously a state that's hit pretty hard. Florida comes to mind around tourism and otherwise. How do those really embattled states come out of this? This is definitely part of the budget conversation. I agree with Roshan how he phrased the end of that last question. I do think there are states that are politically going to have to ask for more money. States that are impacted by the oil industry, Texas, the Dakotas, are obviously seeing their budgets impacted by those dollars that in many cases are earmarked for education. Tourism, again, you're right. I mean, I think governors are trying to figure out how to open up restaurants, beaches, places where people flock to these states during this time of year, candidly, safely, so they don't miss out on that important revenue. But it's certainly a challenge. I think you have to look at every piece of it. You have to look at how to reopen safely. At the same time, you've got to look at your spending and your revenues. By and large, everything that we do now will have to be looked over by a microscope to make sure that we're running it the most efficient and effective way. 
that probably extends to a lot of other areas too. I know that that's a conversation we're having in and around the workplace and the private sector, right? Do we need all this office space? How do we adapt to this new environment? So I think maybe those end up being the things that are the the forever changes. The world we entered into after 9-11 when it came to flying around the country with TSA, I expect that something similar to that will happen here as it relates to how we group and how we interact. Let's talk about elections a little bit here. Russian, you hit on it with those Senate races in particular, but let's focus on governors here. Is it possible to run an election or run a successful election here that isn't just a, we did a good job on COVID, they did a bad job? It isn't just all COVID all the time. Russian, what do you think? I take this segment of the programming to take a dig at my Republicans. I mean, if you're Brian Kemp or Ron DeSantis, I think you're happy that you're not in an election year or a re-election year for them. But you look at a couple of governors, Jay Inslee and Roy Cooper, and the response that they've had to COVID, I think they can run on it. I think it depends on whether or not you're in an election year this year or not. A lot can happen in three years, so it seems like a far cry away. Marie, what do you think? I mean, do you think it's possible for this to be a conversation in 2020, at least, about something other than COVID? I think it was well said by Roshan, you know, not to prolong the question. It is certainly what is on everyone's mind. It's possible that some of these races, the incumbents can talk about something they did with education, or we could take state by state if we had the time and figure out what nugget they have done where they said they were going to do something in their campaign and they delivered on it. But the oxygen in the room tends to be how their state has fared in COVID. And can I add one more thing, Brad? Democrats will do ourselves huge favors when it comes to or how COVID and the response overall has been viewed is if we tie it to the healthcare debate. In 17 and in 18 and in 19, we have doubled down as the party that will take care and protect your healthcare. And if we tie COVID to that healthcare debate, I do think it bodes well for us. And I think we, it's a winning issue for us. So last one for you guys. I think there have been a lot of governors that have done a really good job in both parties of navigating this crisis and have made a little bit of a name for themselves in response to this. Who do you think the governors are that have done that and, and maybe started to pave the way for plum spot in an administration or maybe a presidential run in 2024? Marie, I'll start with you. Well, I'm not going to make a prediction. I would just say that we have a talented bench of really young governors who have approached COVID in different ways. And I think the record will be written on their performance at a later date. Certainly, Governor DeSantis has won praise from certain corners and criticism from others. Governor DeWine has approached this from a completely different place, or not completely different, but has approached it a little differently and has won praise. Governor Ducey has been really creative in how he communicates and thinks through what to do despite the surges we're seeing in Arizona. We've talked about Governor Baker a minute ago and Governor Hogan. So there are a lot of governors out there who are doing interesting things, how that translates. We can talk again in three months to 12 months from now and see how people diagnose their actions. We obviously have a big election in 2020. So obviously I hope Joe Biden wins and whoever is running may does. So I think that changes the 2024 conversation altogether because it's all about timing. But to answer your question, I think there's a reason Andrew Cuomo did that press conference every day for weeks was because there was a board of leadership at the top here in D.C., Michelle Lujan Grisham, who used to run a health agency at the state, former member of Congress, now governor, she's doing an incredible job 
Jay Inslee, I mean, you can't really talk about COVID without talking about Seattle as the first case and the response that he had. And he's now running for a third term, so should have no issues there. There are a number of them, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, and a lot of these states. We're going to have to leave it there. I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to chat with you and to share your perspective with our audience. Thanks so much for your time. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights about the intersection of energy policy and COVID-19. To learn more about the electric industry's response to COVID-19, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.